Name something that's hard to do with your eyes open. Read. Name something that's hard to do with your eyes open. This boy in college. He enrolled in that now. He leaned into the mic and said, Read, Steve. Okay. I sure want to see you shut your eyes and do it. Read. Let me tell you something. When this airs and they see this at your school, <laughs> it's gonna be a rough life for you after this. <laughs>Family feud, you guys. This is going to be an interesting few weeks. Just get ready. Brace yourself. We're going to have some interesting and weird moments, and I love it. Uh, welcome. I'm so glad you're here today. Can, are you guys excited to be here? Let's, let's go. Let's do this. Let's do this. Um, so here's the thing. Family feud is hilarious, and it's, it's because it's a great snapshot of this whole idea of family, because there's tension, right? There's laughter, there's joy, and there's just those awkward, weird moments, right? It perfectly captures this idea of family because, first of all, huge sigh of relief, there's no such thing as a perfect family, all right? So if you've been holding yourself to this standard of, I have the perfect family, just sigh of relief. If you need to just audibly do it, <sighs> all right, no perfect family. So there's no stress of having to be perfect. The reality is family is a really... Ah, it's a powerful word because it has different context for everyone. It has a different perspective, a different meaning determined by, by what your family was like as you grew up. It has different context. And I think there's a lot of people that might just say, hey, when I think about family, I think about my childhood, how I grew up. It was great. You know, my mom and dad, they were together the whole time. I was loved. I was accepted. I was encouraged to grow. I had everything I needed to be successful. Let me tell you this. If, like, if that's your definition and your perspective and your context for family, you are blessed. I mean, there aren't many homes that you can say you grew up like that and just kind of had the deck stacked for success for you. So give a, a prayer of thanks for your parents. They did a great job setting up the deck for your family. It's awesome. Now, some of you might be like the next level down from not, not quite great, but it was good. There were was, there was some moments, there were some speed bumps you might have had to experience, you know, going through a divorce and the fallout of that. And it was just kind of a struggle sometimes, but you were loved you were accepted, you had everything you needed to become a successful adult. And you go, you know what, we had some rough moments, but it was good. I, I think you're still blessed. You had a family that loved you and accepted you, and, and it was good. But I think sometimes you kind of drop to the next level, and it's probably where maybe most of us actually live at, at many levels. It's like that, that idea of, Tim, when I think of my family, we put fun in dysfunction. I mean, that, that was us... <laughs> Anybody willing to be like, that's us, we weird that. Uh, there was just unnecessary obstacles, right? Times of instability, and it just, there was a lot of moments that just weren't great, that could have been avoided. You go, eh, 
when I think of family, it really wasn't that great. We'd, we made a lot of unforced errors, and there was just a lot of mistakes in my childhood growing up, and eh, wasn't great. Well, that's one thing, but I think you can take it to another level, and you can just have this whole context for family that just is summed up in one word, and that's disaster. And it was just, it was filled with pain. I mean, you're talking about a childhood, a family situation where you had to experience abuse and, and, and heartache and complete instability and insecurity. And you think of your, your upbringing and your family and just go, man, this was a disaster. I don't like any part of, of how I grew up or what family means to me. And I, I think it's healthy for us to recognize the spectrum of, of context for that word family. It's a powerful word. And what I want to encourage you to do today as we, as we kick off this series, and we talk about some important things, you guys. Today we're talking about breaking the cycle. How do you do that in your family? Tomorrow, or, or next Sunday, I'm sorry, we have Lamoris Crawford. My friend Lamoris Crawford is coming, and he's going to talk to us about how you strengthen your marriage. How do you have a better marriage? We're going to talk about broken dreams. We're going to talk about how you celebrate the beautiful moments and making sure you capture those, because that's how you look back and realize that God was faithful. We're talking about some really important concepts over the course of this series but as we talk about breaking the cycle, about the significance of, of creating the family that, that you want to have, I want to encourage you today as we start to think about this idea of deciding what kind of family you want to have. Because, man, the, the dad, the mom, the aunt, the uncle, the grandpa, the grandma that God wants you to be, I, you can't imagine the dreams that God has for you. And if you just commit, like right where you are, I'm making a decision, this is the kind of family I want, it doesn't really matter what the past looks like, it doesn't really matter how you got here, you can choose today, this is the kind of family I want, and you can move forward from there living into this, this calling that God has placed on your life. And I want to encourage you today, you can do that, because when we talk about breaking the cycle, that means something hasn't been good and I want to change it, right? Well, how do I do that? What does that look like? I want to start by, by reading this, this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 6. This is a very strange few verses. The next few minutes, we're going to go on a little bit of a wild ride together. You're going to go, what are we doing? How many Diet Mountain Dews has Pastor Tim had today that we're reading this Scripture? I want you to lean into this, though, and think about this in terms of breaking the cycle in terms of your family and, and what that can look like. Uh, it says in Mark 6, Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said, he's the prophet Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. I mean, let's just stop and, and recognize Jesus was on the scene. He was doing miracles. He was teaching people about the kingdom. He was changing everything in real time. People know who Jesus is. It's already happening. He is starting to change eternity. And it says, when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, John the Baptist, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. It's like, okay, whoa, this story is taking a right turn here. And now we get the backstory of how John the Baptist comes to see his life come to an end. Now, this is, let's call it interesting, all right, slash awkward. This is where you lean into the awkward, all right, here we go. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. Yep, you heard that right. Okay. So John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. Like, I want to kill him today? No, not today. Like, that's a weird conversation to be having. As a, as a, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. So why is that? Herod respected John. Knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. 
Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. He didn't like what John had to say, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. Uh, Listen, I had my birthday this last week, and I just want you to know that as we read how he celebrated his birthday, my birthday celebration was nothing like this. I just need you guys to know that straightforward. He gave a party for his high government officials. That's a, I'm not going to go there. They, they weren't high. It's a high government. <laughs> think, about, think about that as you will. I'm not sure how that's. He gave a party for his high government officials. You need to read that correctly. His high government officials, army officers and the leading citizens of Galilee, Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. This story is unraveling. This is not like uh, the daughter comes in and does the chicken dance. And everybody's like, yay! No, all signs point toward his daughter comes in and does a very sensual dance for everybody that's there. This is just... It's off the rails, right? This is weird stuff. Tim, what are you talking about? Why are we reading this? His daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? And her mother tells her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. And, and that's how John the Baptist's life come to an end. Like in front of all the guests, Herod's like, oh, I can't look bad in front of my friends. All right, off with his head. I got, this is just like a horrendous story from start to finish. So be dismissed today and, and go in the grace and the favor of God. We'll see you later. <laughs> we, can't, we can't end there. Can we just stop and consider this for a second? What do you do if when you think about your family, your your past, you think, man, my family was dysfunctional, mine was a disaster. What do you do when you grow up and your dad is Herod, your mom is Herodias, your sister is Herodias number two? What, What do you do? How do you change that? that dynamic? How do you break that kind of a cycle? What do you do when you realize, man, this family that I'm part of, I can choose my friends, but I don't get to choose my family. What do you do when you're in a situation where you realize, man, I, I don't want to live like this anymore. I, I can't live like this anymore. How do you take the steps to break that cycle? I think it's really important for us to ask that. Because as crazy and as dysfunctional as that family is that we just read about, I contend that there's a lot of families today that aren't too far off from that. It gets crazy. So how do you break that kind of cycle? How do you deal with the hurt and the habits, the hang-ups, the pain that comes from just a dysfunctional or a disastrous family situation and, and break that cycle? I think it's a really important question for us to dive into, and it's an opportunity for us to, to take steps to change everything about who we are and what our family's about. Today's a chance to take that first step. Maybe for the first time you need to say, oh, I need to break this cycle. Or maybe it's a chance for you just to refocus and and highlight some areas that are important that you've kind of gotten distracted from. It's time to refocus. Because we've got to be more committed now than ever to breaking this cycle and centering our families around Jesus. And that's the first thing that I want to dive into. Let's ask the question, how do you break this cycle? Well, you decide what kind of family you want. 
This means I'm going to start living with intentionality. Everything changes now. You don't wait. You don't say, oh, you know, next year at this time we'll probably put some changes. No. If you want to break the cycle, you break it right now. Everything changes right now. I decide what kind of family I want and start making those changes immediately. So what's the changes? I think number one, you must center your family around Jesus. Let's start there. What does that mean? Well, in, in the Old Testament, there's this, this passage of Scripture that was crucial to their faith. This is a passage of Scripture that they recited every day, the Shema. It was central to their religious belief and to their daily ritual. This was central to the life of every uh, person who was part of the tribe of Israel, about the nation of Israel. This was central to who they were. And the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What this is, is highlighting is if, if Jesus is going to be the center of my family, if everything in my life is going to just revolve around who God is and, and the love that he has for me and my commitment to him, then I have to make sure that Jesus is the most important thing to me and to my family. And I have to be intentional about that. That means I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. That means I, I talk about it. The first thing when I wake up in the morning, there's, there's something intentional. Before I go to bed, there's something intentional. When I'm driving my kids to school, there's intentional conversation. I mean, it's about making it central. It's about putting it on your forehead, tying it to your hands. Make sure that everything in your life is centered around Jesus. Keep him at the center of everything in your life. And that's a shift. A lot of times we're, we're, we're centering our lives around something else, and it might be a bad thing, it might be a good thing. But if it's the centerpiece of your life, and that centerpiece is not Jesus, that's a distraction that's taking you away from who God is calling you to be. I want to encourage you today, as parents, as aunts and uncles, as grandparents, center your life on Jesus but also center your family on Jesus. Be intentional in, in the habits and the traditions and the rituals that you have as a family. Be intentional about how you're starting your day, how you're ending your day, the conversations that you're having with your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and your nephews. Center your family around Jesus because this changes everything. This showcases what's important to you and, and people see that. I, uh, I officiated a funeral a few weeks ago uh, for someone who I consider a, a dear saint of our church family. Uh, Flora Rose passed away not too long ago, and as I was preparing to officiate her funeral, I was thinking about the ways that her and Harold over the years, if you know them, had just impacted my own life, how encouraging they were to me behind the scenes. Uh, they were just great people. They loved Jesus. They loved people. I, they had such an influence on so many people's lives in the way that they lived. And I had prepared some passage scripture, some thoughts, some, some stories that I wanted to share. I had it all laid out and ready to go. And, you know, it's one of those moments where, man, the funerals, 
I think when you're early on as a pastor, you're kind of scared to do the funeral. It's like, oh man, this is awkward. We're talking about death and it, you'd rather do a wedding. I think the more you, you go through time as a pastor, you're like, eh, I'll leave the weddings to the younger guys. I'll do the funeral. Funerals are actually beautiful and sacred moments. I mean, honestly, if someone loves Jesus and they've had an impact on someone's life, a funeral can be a beautiful and sacred moment. And I was fully prepared to kind of lead the charge on a beautiful and sacred moment. And about three minutes, this is real life now, about three minutes before the funeral was supposed to begin, Flora's son, Lynn, came up to me and said, hey, I don't know if you can use this or not, but this is a letter that my mom wrote to me. And it was in an envelope, and it was dated September 11th, 1996. I'm going, oh my goodness. I'm thinking back, I was a freshman in college. That's incredible. 26 years ago, this letter was written. And on the envelope, it said, to be opened upon my death. This is real life. Envelope, to be opened upon my death. And he said, I just wanted you to know, my mom gave this to me, and if you can use it today, uh, feel free to use it. I'm going, well, this is crazy. I opened the letter, and I... I couldn't believe <laughs> what Flora had written. She wrote, Lynn, please read this. Be sure you're ready to meet the Lord. I love you, Mom. I was floored by that. She wrote, P.S., I want to see you again in heaven and your family. And on that piece of paper were just all the Bible verses that point to how you have a relationship with Jesus and the love that he has for us. And I was floored by that. I'd never heard of anything like that, never seen anything like that. To know that Flora, 26 years ago, was so focused on centering her family around Jesus that she thought and had the foresight to think, I'm going to write this letter to my kids so that on the day that I die, they know what was important to me. I have one more chance to point them toward Jesus and make sure they're centering their lives around him. I tell you, every note, every thought that I had for that funeral, it just it went right out the door. <laughs> we, we talked about that letter. That's what we did. And that was quite an emotional moment to think about the legacy that Flora left behind and, and the legacy that we now live into. Now, now it's our turn. It's our turn to center our families around Jesus and to make sure that legacy gets passed on to the next generation. You don't have to be perfect to center your family on Jesus. I want you to know that today. Let's relieve that pressure, sigh of relief. There's no pressure or tension to be the perfect family. But when you are intentional, when you say, we are going to center our family around Jesus, I want you to know that that's a decision that ripples through eternity. You talk about having eternal impact. You talk about investing in things that matter that, that minute after you die. Centering your family around Jesus is a huge step in the right direction. I want to encourage you today to make that your commitment. Center your own life around Jesus, but center your family around him as well because it changes everything. So here's the thing. You make that, you make that decision to center your family around Jesus, uh, you are immediately going to run into obstacles because it's not the easy path, right? Uh, I believe it's John Maxwell who has the quote, uh, we all have uphill dreams, but we have downhill habits, right? And so we have to fight our downhill habits to achieve our uphill dreams. And anything that's worth chasing after, anything that's good, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be the difficult path, but you've got to be willing to commit to that, 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 that decision that you've made and, and walk down that path. Uphill dreams require uphill habits, and you've got to commit to that change. That's not easy. 
Uh, Joshua spoke to this because he realized that the people of Israel were at a crossroads. Joshua, the leader of the Israelites who led them into the promised land, they, they were led to victory. After wandering the wilderness for 40 years, they finally had a home. They finally were in the land that God had given them. They were living in the blessing and favor and, and, and the plan that God had for them. And, and Joshua, upon his death, is realizing, oh, our people are at a crossroads. They need to be reminded again of who God is and who they are. And so this iconic speech that Joshua gives to the people right before he dies is found in Joshua 24. And this is what he says to all the people who have gathered to hear his final closing statements before, honestly, he passes on. It's the last thing he shared with the Israelites. He said, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That's the commitment that Joshua was making. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what our culture is telling me is right or wrong or what's acceptable or what's okay. It doesn't really matter what everybody else is doing. You can serve the gods that you want to serve. Joshua makes it really clear. As for me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. This is who we are. This is who we are going to be. We are centering our family around Jesus. We are committing that we are going to serve him. You guys, that's a commitment that changes everything. It's not easy. We all have uphill dreams and downhill habits. We all want to be the picture of health and be in great shape, but we all like to eat ice cream. I mean, right? downhill habits. We all like to think that, man, I'm going to be a spiritual superstar, and, and then we struggle to develop the habit of getting in the Word and developing time where we pray. We struggle. We all want to have a really great family. But man, it's easier. The easy path is just to kind of take the easy way out, and, and we don't do the things that help our family become the family that, that God is dreaming of. We miss the opportunity of being the parent and the grandparent, the aunt and the uncle that, that God is calling us to be. You gotta be committed to that. So how do you break that cycle? What, what does that look like? What are the steps that you take to, to make sure that this is what your life begins to look like, that this is the way that you're taking your family? Well, I think number one, you're gonna need to connect with God. I mean, there's no getting around it. You're going to have to start spending time in God's Word. You're going to have to spend time reading the Bible, learning about who He is, the plan that He has for you, the instruction for your life. You're going to need to start spending time with Him in prayer every day. Mark that time out, whether it's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning or the last thing you do before you go to bed. Spend time connecting with Jesus. Make sure you're able to listen to and hear His voice and then be ready to say yes when He asks you to step out of your comfort zone or, or lay something down and surrender that, that shouldn't be in your life. Spend time connecting with God. You can start that right now. Number two, you may need to cut ties with your past. I would contend with you that if you need to break the cycle, if, if you don't want to be who you've been, if you're not content with living life the way that it's been lived and you see that there's a better way and you want to center your life around Jesus, I'm going to say this, you might have to cut ties with your past. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you need to cut all of your friendships and you're just not friends with those people anymore. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that if you're going to center your family around Jesus, if you're committing, as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord, I am saying this, your closest circle of friends it needs to people, be people who have the same goals in mind. 
You're surrounding yourself with people who want to center their family around Jesus. You're surrounding yourself with people who are committed that it doesn't really matter what anybody else is doing. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Surround yourselves with like-minded people. Let that be your inner circle. That's the beauty of being part of a church family. I mean, the goal would be that most of us are on the same page. I want to center my family around Jesus. I want to make that commitment. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. We're in this together. And what an amazing thing to be a part of the church family that encourages us. It holds us accountable. We are in this together. You might have to cut ties with your past, but man, you have an amazing church family around you that encourages you and supports you along the way. Don't miss the benefits that come from being part of a church family. I think the final piece is this. You may need to create a new start. You may just need a a fresh, new, clean start. That means that you might be carrying around some hurts and habits and hang-ups from your experience with family that you need to just get, get recovery from and victory over. And what I love about Crossroads is every one of our campuses has Crossroads Recovery. It's an amazing ministry that's helping people overcome the hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Can we give it up for Crossroads Recovery? That's changing lives. People's lives are being changed because of what's happening in our Crossroads Recovery ministry. Again, you have people who are on this journey with you who are cheering you on, encouraging you, and, and holding you accountable as you do break the cycle and become the person that God created you to be. And I want to encourage you that when you commit to that kind of change and you say, no, this isn't who I, who I was isn't going to be who I am any longer. I'm committing to the change. That's how you begin breaking the cycle. Connect with God. Cut ties with your past. Create a new start. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But it's never too early and it's never too late to begin making this change. I think a lot of times we, we deal with regret. We maybe encounter Jesus later on in life and, you know, the kids are already grown and, and then you start to have heartache for your grown kids and you're trying to figure out how do I be a light that shines in the darkness? How do I point them toward Jesus? It's never too early and it's never too late to begin breaking that cycle. And it may not happen overnight, but I'm telling you, it's never too early and it's never too late. You connect with Jesus, he changes your life. That's going to ripple through eternity. That's going to ripple through your family. Your kids, your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, they're going to see that change and it's going to make a difference. It's never too early and it's never too late to start this, this process of breaking the cycle. I think the final piece is this. You've got to confront your excuses. I'll say it again. We all have uphill dreams and downhill habits. Any goal worth chasing is going to be hard to achieve. You've got to confront the excuses. No more blame game like, oh, this isn't easy. No, nothing worth chasing after is easy. So confront the excuses. Jesus was spot on. I mean, imagine that. Jesus was spot on on something. Matthew 16, he says this to his disciples. Listen, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. That, that is not easy. That's the opposite of easy. I mean, it would have been great if Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, just you know, hit the easy button. You're good. It's all, that'd be awesome, right? But that's not the picture he paints. No, that's difficult. You must give up your own way. Deny yourself. Stop following your own selfishness and pride. Lay that down, pick up your cross, that's the burden of of discipline and discipleship, and Jesus is saying, pick up your cross, this isn't going to be easy, now now follow me. Got to confront the excuses. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? At the end of the day, you've got to be willing to pay the price to get the change that you desire. 
And if your desire today is, is to break the cycle, man, I want to encourage you, today is the day that can change everything. You got to make that choice. I am going to center my family around Jesus. We are going to commit to that change. doesn't really matter what anybody else is doing. This is who we are. As for me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. And it's not going to be easy. There's going to be all kinds of reasons to give up. There's going to be all kinds of, of excuses that could be had. But we're going to confront the excuses. We're going to take them on. We're going to deny ourselves. We're going to take up the cross. We're following Jesus. That's who we are. That's who God has called us to be. And I want to say this again. It's never too early and it's never too late to, to make this decision and to start the process of breaking the cycle. It's, it's a choice that changes everything. It's a choice that ripples through eternity and can change the whole future of your family. Um, when we went to the graveside service for Flora, uh, we laid her to rest at the Prairie Street Cemetery uh, here in Elkhart. And after that ceremony and that service was completed, I actually walked about 100 yards away from her, her burial uh, spot to where my grandpa Fisher's headstone is. He's buried at the same cemetery. And I had that realization that my grandpa is the one who broke the cycle for our family. You know, generations before him, the Fisher family was not a great family. We were not, we were not ones to be trifled with, I'll just say that. Um, the Fisher, <laughs> we were ne'er-do-wells, if you will. I just wanted to use that word. That was fun. Uh, nobody in, in the Fisher family cared about Jesus. There was no, you know, religious side to who they were. And my grandpa, my grandpa Fisher, was the one who had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. And shortly after that encounter with Jesus, he had a call to ministry. And he left a great paying job he sold everything, and he went to Bible college so that he could follow his call to become a pastor. That's what my grandpa did in the 1950s. They had two boys, Mike and Richard, uh, who grew up to become pastors themselves, which never would have happened had my grandpa not made that change to break the cycle. And then Mike, you know, goes on to have me. That's Tim. That's, that's, my, that's my dad. And you know, years of running from the call to ministry, <laughs> I finally decided to answer that call myself. And here I find myself preaching on Sundays and, and answering this call of ministry in my life. And I, I think back to my grandpa. He's the one who broke the cycle for our family. He's the one who did the work. He said, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. I've encountered Jesus. I'm going to center my life. I'm going to center my family around him. My grandpa committed to the change. We don't know what we're doing, but we're going to figure it out. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. He chased after what God was calling him to do. He confronted the excuses. It wasn't easy. But he changed the whole eternal destiny for our family. And that has branched out and rippled through eternity. And you can see that two generations later. And I just want to encourage you that you might not know what those steps look like. It might still be a little fuzzy, but you're realizing, yeah, I'm going to have to start connecting with Jesus I'm going to have to cut some ties with the past. I'm going to have to create a new start. But if you're willing to center your family around Jesus, if you're willing to commit to that change and confront the excuses, you guys, you can break that cycle. Your kids, your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, they can experience a completely different reality than you did. And that concept of family can be one that, man, it's one that set the stage for success, not just in life, but their relationship with Jesus, their faith. You can create a family for the next generation that, that ripples through eternity for good.
And I just want to encourage you today, you can break the cycle. How do you do it? You decide what kind of family you want. So I just ask this question as we come to a close today, what kind of family do you want? Are you willing to take on the excuses and confront the, the difficulties of what that looks like? Because a lot of times, if you're taking this step for the first time, and you are taking the first step of breaking the cycle, this is a difficult process. This is a, a big first step. It changes everything. But man, it's a step that changes everything. It breaks the cycle. And I want to encourage you to take a leap of faith today and take that first step to break the cycle. Maybe you're here today and you're going, yep, that's who I am. That's, that's who I want to be. And today has just been a refocus for you. Just, it's an opportunity to just recommit. I want to encourage you as we close to answer this question, what kind of family do you want? And if the desire of your heart today is as a mom, as a dad, as a grandpa, as a, as a grandma, as an uncle or an aunt, as someone who's early on, maybe you're sitting here and you're 20 years old and you're going, man, I've never really thought about this, but that's who I want to be. I would invite you today as we close to just pray this prayer of commitment with me that if that's your desire, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let's pray that prayer of commitment together. And let me pray a prayer of blessing over you that together we can break the cycle. We can make decisions today that ripple through eternity, that pass our legacy of faith on to the next generation, that we can be the ones that stand in the gap and create a legacy of faith for others to follow for generations to come. If that's the desire of your heart, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you're at today. And I'd like to pray a prayer together with you of committing to Jesus that is for me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. If that's the desire of your heart, I invite you to stand right now. And as we close, let's pray this prayer of commitment together. Today, I commit to love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my strength. This is who I will be. I will stand for what is right and I will turn away from what is wrong. I pledge my allegiance to God, and I commit to him today that as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Can we just give him the praise and the glory today? Because he's worthy of that. He makes that possible. The incredible love that he has for us allows us to have that relationship with him in the first place. And if that's a relationship that you want to experience, you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time today, or you're realizing, man, I need to take some next steps in my walk with God, I want to invite you when the service is over, come forward, talk to Stu, he's standing right here, Michelle's right over here. We want to help you take these next steps in your journey with Jesus. We want to help you break the cycle. We're here to help you do that. But in the meantime, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you today before we go. We're going to sing one more song together. The word hallelujah comes up over and over again. It's the idea of praise the Lord. Man, he is good. His, his love and his mercy, it endures forever. He loves us with an extravagant love and he's faithful. He goes before us, he fights for us. And even when we don't know what the next steps are, he's right there to give us wisdom, to provide for us and to lead us in the path that he wants us to go. And so I encourage you today, center your family on Jesus, commit to the change, confront the excuses. Let's go make a difference for eternity. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I just pray this prayer over you today. God, bless us, I pray as we do our best to follow you. We recognize that no one here is perfect. There's no such thing as the perfect family. And yet, God, we're leaving here today committing that we are going to center our families around you. That's who we want to be. That's who we are. And we're committing today that no matter who's doing what, as for us, as for me and my family, God, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve you. So help us to confront our excuses. It's not going to be easy. Help us to do the difficult things and to stay on the path that you've called us to. You're faithful and you will do that. 
And so God, I ask that you would bless us and keep us, that your face would shine upon us and be gracious to us, that you would turn your face toward each of us and just fill us with your peace today. God, be with our families, be with our kids. Just protect us and guide us, I pray. God, we love you and we praise you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.